Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. A few weeks ago, I got to go to Cyprus, believe it or not, uh, for a ministry trip. And if Claire, oh, Claire Wisdom here, she'd get quite annoyed about that. But I did. And actually, we did work quite hard. On some days, we worked quite hard. There were days where it, was, uh, where it wasn't so hard. But we went there because a friend of mine, uh, a guy called Andy McCulloch, who's done our School of Theology and uh, has uh, taught in CCM a couple of times. Uh, and he runs a thing called the Unreached Network, which is basically training missionaries to go to... Um, you know, pretty difficult parts of the world to plant churches. Uh, and he said to me, Tim, I, I really want us to plant churches in Cyprus. And he was born and raised in Cyprus. So he is uh, um, British, but his parents were teachers and they moved to Cyprus. And he was born there and lived there till he was 17. So he can speak a bit of Greek and he can speak quite a bit of Turkish uh, as well. And he said, Tim, I really want to plant churches there. Uh, so uh, why don't you come with me? We'll go and uh, meet some people and see what's going on and uh, dream and pray. So we went and we met uh, some Greek Cypriot uh, Christians and pastors, uh, uh, fascinating crowds. And then we uh, met some Turkish Cypriot uh, Christians and pastors. And I watched Andy, he uh, preached in Turkish uh, in that church. Very impressive. Uh, then we met some American missionaries some of whom were brilliant, others of whom were hard to understand. And then we met some Filipinos as well. So there is a big Filipino population on the islands. A lot of them are women who do care work and domestic work. And so we went to their church, which was a Catholic charismatic church service, which was a steep learning curve. But then they served us dinner afterwards. That was brilliant. And it was an incredible place, actually. I knew almost nothing about Cyprus until I got there. And one day we were walking and praying in Nicosia. And Nicosia is right in the middle of the islands. And uh, we were walking around the old town there, uh, which was uh, very beautiful. We were walking and praying. And then we turned and went down a street. And then the street just stopped with a big metal wall in the middle of this street. And on the other side of the wall, so we were on the Turkish side at the moment in that moment so as I will explain there's a Turkish side or Turkish Cypriot and a Greek Cypriot side to this island and we were on the Turkish side and the other side of the wall was this flagpole with a big Greek flag above it that you were meant to see uh, when you were on the Turkish side it was a a big statement um, there so Cyprus is cut in two one third of Cyprus is Turkish and the other two thirds are Greek and Uh, We as the UK, we don't even recognise the Turkish Cypriot side. So uh, Turkey invaded in 1974, I think it was. And and since then, there's not been much war, but we've basically all kind of in a huff with each other. And then the Greek Cypriot side, that is in part of the EU. Uh, So we recognise that side. But the border through it runs, uh, it's a physical border, you have to have your passport to get across. And it runs right through the middle of Nicosia, cuts the old town in two and there's this kind of dead zone of derelict houses between the two sides now on the turkish sides they're, they're um, more muslim islamic and so they have their mosques and their mosques do very loud calls to prayer really as a, to to annoy the greek side 
And the Greek side, they are more Christian and they have churches and their church bells ring very, very loudly to annoy the Turkish side. Uh, Also on the Turkish side, there's a big mountain range that you can see from the Greek side. And so they've put up a massive flag of Turkey just on the side of the mountain. And we drove past it in a day. I was like, oh, that's pretty, you know. Uh, aggressive but at night it flashes so you just see the mountain this big flashing Turkish flag I mean it must be the size of five or six football pitches the thing is huge Uh, and uh, really everywhere you go in this island division is obvious contempt for the other is obvious uh, one night when we were in Larnaca which is on the Greek side we were we were sat in a bar in the evening just talking about the day and we were talking to the guy who owned the bar uh, and uh, said, we said, oh, tomorrow we're going to the Turkish side. And I said, have you ever been there? And he looked at me like I just spat on his feet. So I've never been there. I will never give them my passport. And then he changed the subject. But actually, it was a, it was a deep hatred. And Andy said, don't tell people you're going to the other side. Just don't tell them. I was like, all right, OK. So anyway, we came back and I was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, part of the Fallowfield Church and he was born and raised in Belfast. And I was explaining what Cyprus was like. And he said, oh, yeah, that sounds like Belfast. Uh, hatred based on religion, uh, based a bit on ethnicity, based deeply on global politics, which are outside of the place. So global politics play themselves out in Cyprus. So depending on who the president of Turkey is or who the president of America is, that gets played out in this little, uh, little island with about a million people on it. But there are situations like this all over the world, actually, frozen in hatred, frozen in uh, a deep distrust of other people, frozen in anger as well. Even this guy who owned the bar, he was angry about it. And I talked to another guy on the Greek side who was this uh, lovely guy in his 30s. He ran his own mobile phone app making company. He was a worship leader, very kind of uh, nice guy, quite level headed, but... I said to him, oh, yeah, we're going to the Turkish side of Nicosia today. I was like, have you been? He was like, I've never been. I'm like, it's just down the road. Have you never been? Never been. I will never go. It's frozen in hatred. And as I was walking around, you kind of think, what would Jesus must have something to say about this? Okay, he must, there must be an answer for this. It's not like they've been in a huff with each other for a couple of years. Turkey invaded in 1974. They've been angry with each other since then. Uh, There is no way at the moment it looks like it's going to resolve itself. It's completely frozen. But you think, okay, is this just a problem of politics? We can solve all of the different questions and problems and maybe everything will be fine. And there is some truth in that. But actually, there is a profound problem in the human heart there, isn't there, that is being played out in one island. An arrogance, really. There is an arrogance there and a, a pride there. Also, uh, are being quite comfortable with hating someone. Actually, yeah, I can hate you. I will hate you, in fact. A comfort with separating ourselves, saying we are different and better than you. Even though we don't know anything about you, anything about your family, anything about your values or your life, but we are better than you. So it's racism is in there. And you think, God, Jesus must have an answer for this. And actually, he does have an answer. And gee, I'm going to tell you what the answer is. Very, very simple. You know what the answer is? The answer is you. That's right. You are actually the answer. So we've been looking at Ephesians, uh, and we're going to keep looking at that. And Ephesians, as you know, is written by a guy called Paul. And actually, Paul often comes up against these issues. 
these issues of arrogance and pride and people thinking themselves better than another group of people. This human desire to be separate, to, to kind of go into our groups and identity to be formed in hatred. So to see ourselves as better than another group. And actually, Paul came up against it often and he hated it. He hated it. He thought it was completely contrary to the good news of Jesus. And actually, it's a fundamental issue for Paul. It comes up again and again in his writing. We can watch him in Acts, actually, as somebody else is writing about Paul. You see it comes up and again and again for him there. And so we're going to read, and we're going to read a big lump of Ephesians 3. It will appear up there behind me. Thank you, Andy. Uh, but you can follow along as well. It's Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. And then we're going to dig into this a little bit. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Worth remembering, Paul was Jewish by upbringing, okay? And he describes himself as being in jail on behalf of the Gentiles. Uh, and that's a big statement in itself because usually uh, Jews keep themselves entirely separate for Gentiles, see them as unclean, as unworthy. And yet Paul's saying, I'm in jail for you. Okay, it's important to notice. Uh, but assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Pause for breath. Start again. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given. That's a good way to start beating racism there. By just to say about yourself, I'm the very least of all saints. That's a, a good uh, self-awareness that actually is very helpful. It's at least of all saints. This grace is given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So this letter that Paul wrote, that he wrote to uh, the church, a number of different churches, probably in and around Ephesus, it's thought this was one of those letters that probably got passed around. Ephesus, incidentally, is in modern-day Turkey. So, uh, but it was written a couple of thousand years ago. Um, but actually, we face exactly the same issues as what Paul was describing there. So they may be packaged differently, uh, but the human heart is still the same. The cities that we live in, so you might think, well, Manchester is a little bit different to a, an ancient city in Turkey, but actually they're basically the same. Parts of it would be very beautiful, parts of it would be fantastic and life would be good, and other parts of it there would be deep suffering and injustice. Sounds the same as our city. Being a follower of Jesus actually would have been exactly the same as well. 
The call is still the same, still to cling to Jesus. That's what Paul wanted the Ephesians to do, to have their eyes fixed on him. That is true today as well. The call to follow Jesus is exactly the same. And following Jesus actually wholeheartedly in the modern world, the world we live in today, is not an easy thing. It's not meant to be easy, actually. We are called as believers, as followers of Jesus, to live completely differently to the world around us. That, that is our call. We are called to be in relationship and to worship the one true God. That makes us very different to the world around. That would have been true in Ephesus as well. Uh, but, and Paul emphasises this often, just worship the one true God. And implicitly saying, don't worship other gods. No other idols, no other lifestyle, no other amount in your bank balance, no dreams, no personal ambitions. Worship gods. Don't worship those other things. But for him as well, it wasn't an individualistic thing. It wasn't a personal or private thing. And that's something we've uh, turned it into a bit in the West. Uh, I'm not sure Paul would have even quite understood the concept of us saying, my faith is a very personal private faith he wouldn't have understood that at all because as we worship the one true gods Paul thought this turns us into something turns us into a collective something it turns us into the church and he would call it the church he would call it the body of Christ so it's really interesting it's for Paul as he describes this a vertical thing happens our relationship with God is restored and then a horizontal thing happens our relationship with other people is restored as well that's easy to say but actually it is not easy and it's not meant to be and in fact Paul knows that it's difficult that's why he calls this a mystery and we're going to look quickly at what this mystery is a little bit and then we're going to see how this mystery actually works what we are called to do how we're called to live it out so the mystery is revealed first and foremost so you see there in this Last verse, verse six there that we read. The mystery is that the Gentiles, okay, remember, Gentiles are people who are not Jews. And the Jewish uh, people up till this point uh, viewed themselves as separate, okay? Uh, And the Gentiles were unworthy. The Gentiles couldn't come into the presence of God, couldn't worship God like the Jewish people were. And yet Paul says this mystery is that these Gentiles, these non-Jews, are fellow heirs. Actually, now they get to, to worship. They're members of the same body. They get to be part of the same church as you. And they are partakers of the promise of Jesus. Basically, they get to be Christians, followers of Jesus, exactly the same as you Jewish people. So there is now, Paul's decided, no separation. He believes there's no separation anymore. And in the chapter before this, Paul explains this a bit. He says, look, God reconciles humans to himself. Okay, so a weird words, reconciles, isn't it? Basically, God makes relationship with humans possible. We can be friends with God again. We can be sons and daughters with God. God fixes that so we can do it, which is good because we are made for that relationship. That's what we are built for. We are made to worship, made to be in relationship with the living God. Okay, that's the, the uh, vertical bit again, isn't it? But when God restores us to him, when the relationship is fixed, when we're brought back into the family, that's not all that happens. We don't just stop there and go, yep, great, I'm back in the family. I can just live my life as I was before. Now, at that point, God restores us to other people. And Paul explains, he says, look, he restores us to others 
which means Jewish people and non-Jewish people have to be in community together for this to be real. The people of God are not an ethnic group. They are no longer strangers or aliens to each other. They are no longer Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots. They are just in the people of God. They are built together. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit is how he describes it which is a, a fascinating thing. It's incredible teaching. And Paul goes a bit deeper. And he keeps taking us deeper into this. And he says, look, the mystery is that God brings all people together. And he does it through Jesus. And he doesn't do it to make us all be the same as each other. He brings us together, not so that we can slowly but surely become a group of people that think and act and behave in exactly the same ways, whose cultures slowly merge into one. That's not what he's after. He brings us together in our different ethnicities, class groups, different cultures to be alongside each other, to be loving each other, respecting each other, to be one body together. And for Paul, actually, it's impossible without Jesus. And actually, if we look at world history, we'll realise, yeah, it's impossible. (laughs) Sometimes some nations do quite well, but that arrogance, that pride, the problem with the human heart bubbles up eventually. And for Paul, it's only possible in Jesus. In his death, in his resurrection, in him dealing with sin and evil, him paying the price for all of that, him buying a way for us to get to the Father, he makes a new people for himself. A people who are only defined by one thing, by them declaring that Jesus is their Lord and Saviour. Not saying we want our culture to be like this, we want our ethnicity to be this, we want to all behave in this way. No, we only are together by declaring Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So I realised when I was in that um, Catholic charismatic Filipino church, uh, and which was very noisy, um, and they were linked up. Uh, they, they had a, a Zoom call on. So there was about 20 of them in this flat. They had a Zoom call on with numbers of other groups uh, across Europe, actually. I think there was uh, a group in London as well as the other side of the island, as well as a group in the Philippines as well. And I was sat there not understanding the language, not really liking the look of what the food looked like, if I was honest. And I was thinking, I am part of this church. And they, I'm as in this as they are, even though I don't quite know what's going on. And they're a bit surprised that I'm there. They've been very kind to me. Uh, and the music is something I don't want to hear again. Uh, but I am part of this church. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? When we declare Jesus our Lord and Saviour, it does the vertical and the horizontal. Our relationship with God is restored. Our relationship with others is restored. It is the great mystery. This thing that we idly call church is made by Jesus. I don't know if you thought about that this morning when you were rushing to get here. Maybe your bus was late or you're trying to cram the kids into the car. Well, like Josh, he's in charge of five while Rose is on holiday in America. I don't know if he was thinking at this moment, gosh, this is the representation or the vertical representation and restoration of our relationships. Or he's just thinking, I want to get there. If I get there on time, it's a result. Actually, that thing we idly call church, that is made by Jesus, right? He invites all nations and cultures to worship him, to be in his church, not to all be the same as each other. We're not here a homogenous group, 
that all like to eat McDonald's and slowly but surely just look and behave the same way. But we are to be his people. The great purpose in that. So this purpose, actually, there is a call there. So there is a call to challenge and change, a call to stand up to evil and to be bold. There you're, uh, that's all your homework from this morning. No, it's the middle one there. Stand up to evil. It's going to be a good week for you. Right. So church is to challenge and change the world's. Now he says that, okay, in verses seven to nine, uh, Paul actually describes his own calling. He says, look, I'm a, a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is a, a very kind of posh way of saying, I'm a minister and I seem to have the abilities to do that, which he did. You know, we still read his preaches today. A few thousand years later, he planted lots of churches, saw lots of people saved. He is a minister uh, and it was for him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That was his call. And to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery? So the thing we just talked about. So basically he's saying, my job is to tell people about Jesus and then tell them how to be in the church together. That's what he means there. Okay? And he planted lots of churches. He lived that out. That was his job. And it's the same for us today. Okay? That isn't just unique to Paul. Actually, there were numbers of people in his time that did that as well. And we are to do that too. That is our role. That is us. We are an example to the world. So when we gather here together, when we do our community groups and you have some new ones starting, which is exciting. When you go to work, when you uh, maybe have a Zoom prayer meeting, whatever it might be, all of those things are an example to the worlds around you. No pressure. So we're not here just as a club. Actually, we are a people that points to Jesus. So our calling that is to preach this good news. That doesn't mean we all stand up in a workplace, give a 30-minute exposition of Ephesians or do that at Christmas Day with our family. Actually, no, we, we preach by living that out, by being believers and followers of Jesus, by living that out with the people around us. To people who are a bit like us, perhaps similar culture to us, to people who are very different to us as well. And when we do that, we actually show this multicultured idea of God's people so being part of a church you might I don't know if you understand this or not but actually you are a challenge to the world you model something you model sacrificial relationship actually you do when you put others before yourself in your church even the person that annoys you as you look to honour different cultures in your church, even when you don't quite understand why they behave that way, actually you model something very powerful. So church is to challenge and change the world. But church also stands up to evil. I'm thinking now that I lead all of CCM, of changing our kind of vision statement to just CCM stands up to evil. <laughs> which I think would be wicked. I also wanted to change the name of the church to Church of the Flaming Swords, but I'm <laughs> struggling to get that one past the trustees. So church stands up to evil, so that through the church, uh, Paul writes, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And he just throws this in as a sentence, but there is so much in here to, to kind of grapple with. Uh, so as well as being an example to the people around you to challenge and change the world, 
You are actually an example to spiritual forces. Okay? What you do on earth, how you behave, how you treat others, how you love, how you serve, how you honour, actually, that has a deep impact in spiritual places. So sometimes you, you might hear people talk about spiritual warfare and they might do a prayer walk around somewhere declaring Jesus is in charge of the place and I'm not against that at all or anything like that. But actually, in how you behave and treat people, in how you worship Jesus and how you do your job, how you bring up your kids, how you look after your money, all of those things has deep impacts on spiritual places. Rulers and authorities, as Paul describes them, observe what you do. And why does it have impacts? Well, it reminds them that their power is broken. It reminds evil that it has been defeated. When the church brings different ethnicities together, different cultures, different ways of doing things, is the body of Christ, you remind evil that its power is broken. Evil would divide. Evil would have us uh, just hanging out with our own people. Evil would have us looking down on others. So CCM, when you give money to uh, the Give Big in November, particularly where we gave to, uh, we go to Oasis, but we also gave to Uganda and Ukraine. Okay, uh, that was actually a very powerful statement. Now, we might not think about it in those terms. We're thinking, we give you money, you can run some projects. That's a great thing, which it is. But actually, it's a powerful statement because they're very different to us in worldview, uh, in how they approach life. Perhaps they even look different uh, to us. But we make a powerful statement. We just say, we love you, we want to serve you, we trust you, we honour you. Here's some money to prove it. And actually, it's not a one-way street like... They're people we just help because we're the British and that's what we do. Actually, no. Emmanuel, who's in Uganda, preached here just a few weeks ago, didn't he? And uh, Andre, sorry. Andre from the Ukraine as well, he preached here. And actually, those things are big statements to evil. You might not think, you might think it's just a visiting preacher. Um, But it's a big statement to evil says doesn't it that we are we're humble we want to learn from those who are different different cultures different ethnicities actually we are about serving and loving and honoring we are not about helping them to become more like us actually we learn from them as well so in your workplace or in your family or or, uh, your friendship groups or just the street that you live on When you seek to understand and honour and appreciate those who are different, and when you look to explain to them about Jesus, actually, it's a very big statement. Again, we we don't do those things so that they can become like us. No, we do it as an example to the world and as a statement to evil. So Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when he taught us to pray that, he actually was helping us to understand that you get to be the little bit of heaven. You get to take your place in the body of Christ. Part of the answer to that prayer is you. So I think about our friends in Cyprus. Part of the answer to that prayer 
uh, of the, that island being unified, of hatred being defeated, of uh, the racism and fascism, actually, that plays out a bit on that island. Part of the answer to that is the body of Christ being diverse in that place. It makes a big statement to evil. And in that, you are living out the mystery. It is a mystery, because you might think, I just went to church. We were just, we got on, we're friends, that's what happens. But actually, that's the mystery. Jesus intends his church to be seen. We are very visible, not just because we're on Google Maps, but actually, rulers and authorities are aware in ways perhaps that we barely understand. Uh, And I'm not big, I don't, you know, I don't think we should talk about spiritual warfare all the time or name the evil stuff that's watching us or even be that bothered by them. It doesn't really matter. We do what Jesus tells us to do. But as we do those things, we realise need to understand it's not just about keeping CCM running or making it a little bit bigger, uh, which I think is important. I want to do, but it's about defeating evil because that's what Jesus did. So there might be a week where you think, I just, I don't fancy church this week or community group because somebody annoyed you or offended you or perhaps the service isn't quite what you're looking for and the preacher gets a bit emotional sometimes it does your head in (laughs) or perhaps you've just had an awful week at work and you're tired and your husband or wife is annoying you or you're lonely or whatever it might be and you decide I'm done actually when you push through that you decide to engage anyway to love and serve those around you who are different You remind rulers and authorities that Jesus is king. It might not feel like that. In fact, most of the time, it never will. And you won't know, but you remind rulers and authorities that Jesus is king. So, lastly, after you've challenged and changed the world, well done. After you've stood up to evil, very good people. You get to boldly approach. That's what we do. We do it together as well. And he says, this was according to the eternal purpose. Just as a reminder, what you do is an eternal purpose. It's not just a human habit or religion. It is an eternal purpose that has been realised in Christ Jesus our Lord's. In whom we have what? Timidity, fear, waiting for Jesus to return so all this horrible stuff can end. No, we have boldness and access with what? With trying, with efforts, with lots of prayer and fasting. No, with confidence through our faith in him. So don't lose hearts. But you are, believe it or not, an example to the world. Gorton, CCM Gorton. You are an example to the world. Christ Church Manchester is. All of the churches in our city, that's what we want for them, to be an example to the world, a statement to evil. And we get to do that because of Jesus. That's the mystery. Not because of how well organised we are, because of our website, because of our giving, because how we support charities and love the poor, because we run Alpha, none of those things, but because of Jesus. We get to boldly approach God's with confidence. Incidentally, it's not confidence in yourself. 
We only approach God when we felt self-confident. We would never be confident enough to approach him. But in the work and in the person, the actual personality of who Jesus is. And we can approach God. And it's worth just thinking, I can approach God. Because it's one of those kind of phrases as a Christian you could say. But actually, you get to approach the creator of everything. The one true perfect God who didn't just create it, he keeps it all working. And you can walk up to him confidently. It's worth thinking. I would walk up to him nervously because <laughs> he created everything. He can uncreate it all as well, including me. But not only that, you have access. So when you walk up confidently to God, he doesn't flinch and go, what are you doing here? How did you get in? Which is what he should say. We have access. Well, what does that mean? It means when you pray, he actually listens. We don't say that enough about praying. When we pray, he listens. He may not give you the answer you want, but he's listening to you. So we are called to boldly live, CCM. You are the body of Christ in Manchester. We're called to approach with confidence. 